What follows may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Audiot. Tonight we're going to look at my great state of Ohio and some of the crazier urban legends in this state. I was born and raised in Cleveland. That's Cleveland. At least we're not Detroit. And I want to touch base on some of the crazier things that have happened here and what makes this place so interesting. This is The Ohio Spook Show. So first thing first, Ohio is awesome. I never really liked it here when I was a kid because there wasn't a lot to do, or at least I thought. And me and my friends would go down to the Chippewa Lake Amusement Park, which I grew up near. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you should Google it because it's pretty awesome. Uh, they tore it down right after I graduated, which I've always been kind of bummed out about. And me and my friends would go in there and we'd creep each other out and we'd make up stories about locations and find out kind of weird crap that we could use to scare our friends. And I didn't know it at the time, but that's the kind of thing that laid the groundwork for the things that I enjoy in my adult life. And once I came back to this state after getting out of the military, finding out that Ohio was really kind of a hotbed for paranormal crap was really exciting for me. Obviously, we have our connection to Mothman, which is really more of a West Virginia thing, but Ohioans kind of take it for their own, in my opinion. And there's some smaller stuff that my people maybe not have heard of before, and that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about tonight. So first tonight, I want to talk about a location that not a lot of people know has a history of being haunted, but is a Ohio staple. In Ohio, this place is famous in its own right, and people come from all over the state to experience it. But to most people, it's just the place they film Shawshank. So tonight I want to talk about the Ohio State Reformatory, or as we in Ohio call it, the Mansfield Reformatory. Mansfield was a working prison for nearly 80 years, and it was only after it was closed that it gained new life as the main filming location for the Shawshank Redemption, which I'm sure I don't have to explain to you is based on the short story Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption by the incomparable Stephen King. At the present, it is used as a venue for music festivals, as well as the location of one of Ohio's greatest haunted houses. Speaking from my own personal experience, Ohio loves its spooky shit. And the location is available for paranormal research and ghost hunting as well. So first I want to take some time and discuss the history of the building, as it was a working prison. So I'd like to go over what these prisoners dealt with, what they went through, the living conditions, and things like that, which will really set the stage for the creepy stuff we came here for. The Ohio State Reformatory, or Mansfield as I'll most likely call it, the field where the reformatory would eventually be built was originally used as a training camp for Civil War soldiers. In 1867, the city of Mansfield raised $10,000 to purchase 30 acres of land for the prison, and the state of Ohio acquired an additional 150 acres of land for $20,000. Construction began in 1886, and it remained under construction until 1910 due to funding problems that caused delays. The first prisoners entered the reformatory in 1896, and their first job was to help finish construction, specifically on the sewer system and the 25-foot wall which surrounds the building. The reformatory was originally called the Intermediate Penitentiary, and as its name describes, it was intended to be used as a intermediate middle ground between the Boys Industrial School in Lancaster, Ohio, which originally taught juvenile and first-time offenders useful skills and trades and worked to reform them and have them born again in the church before reintroducing them into society. 
and the state penitentiary in Columbus, which was housing more hardened offenders. So while the original goal was to house more young and nonviolent offenders, overcrowding in prisons eventually forced the state to start sending more violent criminals to the Ohio State Reformatory. Eventually, the reformatory itself started becoming overcrowded, with cells that were originally designed to hold a single man that now held three, and the focus shifted from reformation to punishing unruly prisoners for their wicked deeds. And this was the early 1900s. These people did not hold back. What they called punishments then would be considered acts of torture now. Beatings from the guards were a daily occurrence. They used water hoses on them. There was a sweat box for the minority prisoners, which is unfortunately all pretty typical of prisons at the time. One particularly gruesome torture device was called the butterfly, which was a metal frame or chair that the inmate was strapped to, which was then electrified. On top of all this, inmates were also subject to extreme acts of violence from other inmates, as well as moldy and rotten food, rat infestation, and infectious disease. Crooked prison staff could provide preferential treatment to inmates who were willing to pay for it. The prison remained in full operation until December of 1990 when it was closed via federal court order due to a prisoner's class action lawsuit, Boyd v. Denton, which cited overcrowding and inhumane conditions. While it was originally stated to close in 1986, it was delayed until 1990 due to the lengthy construction of the replacement institution which is the Mansfield Correctional Institution, which stands to the west of the old facility. After it was shut down, it was used for film and television productions. As stated before, probably the most famous is Shawshank Redemption, which was filmed in 1994. Other films include Tango and Cash, the film Air Force One with Harrison Ford, and The Extractors with Sylvester Stallone, which I'm sure everyone saw. It's also been used as a location for music videos for bands such as Godsmack, Anti-Flag, and Marilyn Manson, who is an Ohio native, by the way. Born and raised in Canton, Ohio, which should tell you why he's so angry all the time. Most of the grounds and support buildings, including the exterior wall, have been demolished since closing, but in 1995, the Mansfield Performatory Preservation Society was formed who have turned the prison into a museum, and they give historical tours as well as ghost tours, and the proceeds go toward the preservation of the building to protect it from further deterioration. The facility has been investigated by numerous paranormal investigators, including Taps from the show Ghost Hunters in 2005, and Zach Bagans and his team did their own investigation for Ghost Adventures in 2009. It was also used as a location for an episode of Ghost Hunters Academy in 2010. And that pretty much brings us up to present day. Now let's talk about the stuff you all came here for, the fun stuff. Beyond the craziness in the cell blocks, there are a few particular locations where people have been known to experience activity. Probably the most notable being the administration wing where people have claimed to see the spirit of Helen Glackey. Arthur Glackey was the superintendent for the reformatory from 1935 until his death in 1959. Arthur entered his position intending to reform the miserable conditions of the prison, but there was very little he could do to relieve the overcrowding. Arthur and Helen actually lived in the administrative building with their two sons. On November 5th, 1950, Helen knocked a gun off a shelf while she was trying to look for a box, and it fired and discharged a bullet into her chest. She was rushed to the hospital, but unfortunately died three days later due to complications from pneumonia at the age of 41. Warden Glackey continued his position as superintendent until he suffered a heart attack in the same office on February 10, 1959. 
Since then, visitors and employees have reported experiencing strong paranormal events in the administrative wing. Helen had her own private bathroom, which was painted pink, and people and investigators claim to smell rose-scented perfume emanating from that bathroom. They've also caught glimpses of a woman entering the bathroom door, only to have nobody in the room when they enter it. Occasionally, people will feel a rush of cold air pass through them as they walk through the area. And it's not uncommon for people to claim they have camera issues, such as a jam shutter, which prevents any photographs from being taken in the administrative building. Only to have those issues be miraculously fixed as soon as they leave the building. Finally, people have claimed to hear the voice of a woman behind closed doors, either by herself or occasionally arguing with another man. Could this be Helen arguing with Arthur? And if so, I would imagine that really puts the whole accidentally shot in the chest thing into perspective. I think it might be reasonable to assume that living in an Ohio prison with your two sons isn't any housewife's picture of perfection. Maybe that relationship isn't as hunky-dory as the Glackies would have people believe. But that's not for me to speculate. But if that is the case, I can only imagine how Arthur must feel, knowing that he has to spend eternity with the wife he shot in the chest. He will literally never hear the end of that. That being said, Ted Glackey, the youngest son of Helen and Warden Glackey, has been quoted as saying that the idea that his parents are haunting Mansfield Reformatory is nothing but sensationalism and inaccurate stories. But again, I would hate to believe that my own parents are spending eternity as ghosts as well, so take that for what it is. Another location that's supposed to have a lot of activity is supposedly the prison's chapel. If you believe any of this at all, according to the legends, before it was the chapel, it was the place where prisoners were executed. This is supposedly the location with the highest number of orbs captured in photographs and videos, as well as unidentified sounds in video recordings. Photographic and video evidence has caught spirits peeking around corners and through doorways, as though they were spying on the investigators only to move after their presence has been noticed. Visitors have also claimed to have been pushed or grabbed or touched in this room specifically, more so even than any other place in the reformatory itself. In the infirmary, people were supposedly left without care, and many actually starved to death because they were too weak to fight off healthier prisoners who stole their food. This location actually gets its fair share of orbs as well and sets off EMF detectors like crazy. Visitors also experience another gust of air like they do in Helen's bathroom. In the basement, people have spotted a teenage boy who may have been a juvenile inmate, and they've encountered a man in a prison guard uniform turning corners only to not be there when they catch up. Visitors have also seen the same man staring at them from down the hall and claim he gives off a very sinister vibe. Perhaps he's one of the crooked correctional officers taking bribes? And if so, just what is he doing spotted in the same location as a teenage boy? In the library, visiting psychics have reported seeing the spirit of a young woman. And in the inmate's graveyard, visitors have reported seeing objects move as well as equipment failure. Which is probably fine. Get out of the prison graveyard, you fucking weirdos. Now, it's reasonable to assume that in the cells are where most of the more violent experiences in the prison would take place. But on the contrary to that, former prisoners have claimed that they felt the presence of a woman pull their blankets up around them in a very comforting way. Which I imagine when you're spending your days in one of the worst places in Ohio, any comfort you might receive, ghostly or not, is still kind of nice. I would much rather prefer a hug from a ghost over my cellmate. And I think you know exactly what I'm referencing there. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, the hole is where people experience some of the worst and most uncomfortable experiences in the prison. The hole is the ultimate punishment for the unruly inmate. The cells are small, 
Roaches and rats move freely inside and out. There are 20 whole cells in total, and this is where people have claimed to feel sudden nausea, fever-like chills, and just generally being incredibly uncomfortable. People claim to feel like they're being watched, and it's a feeling that they cannot shake. The hole is located in a room in the basement, and psychics have claimed when they enter that area, they feel nothing but black. As uncomfortable as the experience is, people flock to Mansfield Reformatory by the thousands. I mentioned earlier in October, the prison is home to one of the best haunted houses in the state called Blood Prison, which is home to escaped convicts and crazy clowns. What's fun is people claim to go through the event and hear things and feel things that the event swears is not part of the production. Whether that's the organization pumping up the scare factor or if that's something that people have actually experienced, we'll never know. But if we're being honest with ourselves, when people go somewhere fully expecting something to happen, nobody's ever really surprised when it does. There's always going to be the possibility that people are only hearing what they want to hear. Now, to shift gears a little bit, I want to talk about another subject that's a little bit ridiculous. In May of 1955, a traveling salesman was driving along an unnamed road late at night near Loveland, Ohio. As he was leaving the Branch Hill neighborhood of Loveland, he spotted three figures that stood upright on their hind legs on the side of the road. They were estimated to be between three and four feet tall, with leathery skin and frog-like faces. The salesman watched while these creatures conversed among themselves before they took notice of him, causing one of the creatures to hold a wand over its head and fire a spray of sparks which scared the salesman into running away, and thus became the legend of the Loveland Frog. Loveland is considered part of the greater Cincinnati area, being only 15 miles from the city limits itself, which means, depending on who you talk to, it's basically Kentucky. After the incident in May of 1955, the Loveland Frog became something of an urban legend in the area, with its fair share of addendums to the original story, but very few actual incidents. In other versions of the story, the creatures were actually spotted going under a bridge, of which there are several in the Loveland area, that go over the Little Miami River. The most notable and reported-upon experience with the Loveland Frog came on the 3rd of March in 1972. At 1 a.m., Loveland Police Officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Little Miami River when a creature scurried across the road in front of him. Viewing it in his headlights, he described it as 3 to 4 feet tall and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. He's quoted as saying that the animal crouched like a frog before it stood up and climbed over the guardrail one leg before the other and down towards the river. Two weeks after this incident, another police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing the same animal crouched along the road around the same area as Shockey's sighting. During this incident, however, Matthews shot the animal, took the body, and put it in the trunk of his car to show Officer Shockey. He described the creature as a large iguana about three or three and a half feet long, and he didn't immediately recognize it as such because it was missing its tail. He speculated that the iguana was somebody's pet that either got loose or was released when it grew too large. Upon seeing the animal, Shockey confirmed that it was the creature he had seen two weeks previously. Unfortunately, in a frustrating bit of sensationalism, later Matthews recounted the incident to an author who was writing a book about urban legends, and he says the author omitted the part that confirmed that the creature was in fact an iguana. That being said, incidents and sightings have continued all the way through to the present day. In August of 2016, Cincinnati TV stations reported that two teenagers playing Pokemon Go claimed to have seen a giant frog near Lake Lizabella in the Loveland area. They claimed after seeing the creature that the creature stood up and walked on its hind legs. 
and were apparently able to photograph the frog, which I'll put on the website. Sam Jacobs, who photographed the frog, is quoted as saying, I swear on my grandmother's grave that this is the truth. I'm not sure whether it was a frogman or just a giant frog. Either way, I've never seen anything like it. I love this story because of its persistence. It's amazing how multiple people can give a perfectly logical explanation, but the people of Loveland still continue to report sightings and interactions. I think it's one of those situations where the fantasy is more fun than the facts. It's fun to think that there's something out there that's unique to your town that you can experience. Kids in Loveland will eventually grow up and leave that town and share stories of the Loveland Frog with people who haven't heard of it before, and thus the legend and the mythos grows. And that's how the story of the Loveland Frog, which for all intents and purposes was an iguana some dude hit with his car, has been able to last this long, at least in Ohio. Ohio-based author James Renner has a section dedicated to the Loveland Frog in his 2012 book, It Came From Ohio, True Tales of the Weird, Wild, and Unexplained. And in 2014, the legend was used as the basis for a musical titled Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog, which is goddamn adorable. I love a good cryptid, man. And with that, I'll wrap it up. I'd like to make the Ohio Spook Show a recurring theme and kind of reintroduce episodes sporadically as I find new stories and just kind of share with you guys what uh, Ohio is all about as far as the creep show thing goes. That way I can at least show the paranormal community that we're more than just the place that LeBron used to live. Feel free to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Audiot Podcast and the website is audiot.com. Uh, feel free to leave me your feedback. Let me know what I'm doing wrong. Let me know what I'm doing right. And one last thing before I go, I wanted to touch on something I think is important. I'm recording this on August 15th of 2020. Uh, so we're in the middle of the pandemic. We're having a hard time or not a time at all, depending on who you talk to, which is a whole thing. And I'm not going to make this my political soapbox because that's not what you all came here for. But I wanted to tell you, in these hard times, something that's important to remember is that none of this is going to matter when Great Dreamer Cthulhu rises to consume us all. Mm-hmm.